Hello, everybody. Welcome to the 11th episode of the Manor Podcast. I'm your co-host, Roger Bodie, joined as always with my other co-host and best friend, Michael Hamilton. Michael, que pasa? Does that mean what's up? Yeah, but I went with Spanish this time. I figured now we're keeping up the multilingual trend. So we did French and now I figured I did Spanish. <laughs> I don't know. Not much. Been playing some Flesh and Blood. Been looking at some deck lists. Excited to talk about it. Que pasa con two. Not a mucho. Gracias. I've also been playing a lot of Flesh and Blood. You had a wonderful playtesting session on Sunday where we did an uprising draft and I was the third Icelander in the draft again and I wanted to throw my cards in the middle of the table. I was just, I was so sad. I can't say I'm never going to want to draft Icelander again because then people will exploit that at the Pro Tour, but I really never want to draft Icelander again, Michael. Is it is it really exploiting it if the person to your left goes into Icelander? Isn't that what you want? Apparently, because there's always going to be 16 Icelanders in every draft, no matter what, because when you pass blue brain freeze, it's a signal for the third person to move in. I don't think anyone uh, moved in because of the blue brain freeze. I think they did. Okay, okay. I, okay. I think it's just a blue, a blue block three. Slightly better than critical strike blue. That's debatable. I also think we played a lot of class constructed though, and that was good. Yeah. We're both getting close to locked in on our decks. It sounds like you're pretty locked in and I'm getting there, right? Yeah. I've been really happy with the Azalea builds I've been working on lately. I think the death dealer combos that we found have been really effective and uh, the people at the Pro Tour aren't going to be really ready for it. Yeah. Just wait. Pummel our battering bolts with Dominate. Get them. Hmm. <laughs> Anyways, speaking of Classic Instructed, we are going to be reviewing some of the recent deck lists that have performed in Utrecht the last week of Road to Nationals and the Battle Harden this past weekend in Auckland, I think was really interesting. Yeah, I, I would agree. Quite interesting. Let's talk about the first place deck from the Battle Hardened in Auckland. That would be... So it's Kel McCreep played Bravo to a 10-0 finish, and I'll go ahead and read off his list. Go for it. He had, he had one Anathos, one Crater Fist, one Crown of Providence, one Iron Rot Legs, one Nolrun Boots, one Nolrun Gloves, one Nolrun Hood, one Tectonic Plating, and one Time Skippers. Uh, seems like, I would guess, a pretty typical Bravo equipment suite. Not a huge Bravo guy, but it sounds pretty... Nothing abnormal. You've got three AB, three Arcane Barrier. You've got Time Skippers for Prism. And Crown of Providence over Skullcap. Uh, the only thing that's weird to me is seeing Iron Rot in Constructed. I'm so used to seeing Iron Hide, but given that Bravo is not able to utilize the extra resources from pitching cards on the opponent's turn like Oldheim can with... Rampart of the Ram's Head and Crown of Seeds. It makes sense that he would opt. He wouldn't play Ironhide, but I still find it hard to believe that Iron Rot would be the best option at that point. Yeah, there really just aren't good generic boots, so maybe someday we'll get playable boots. One thing that is interesting is he does have three Enlightened Strikes. Maybe at that point you just play Snapdragon Scalers. That or just play Mage Master boots and throw in Atoma Findall. I think that's a pretty low opportunity cost. And spoilers, it's probably better than a remembrance. <laughs> All right, go, going down through the list. At red, we have three Choke Slam, three Command and Conquer, three Crippling Crush, three Enlightened Strike, three Fate Foreseen, two Oasis Respite, two Pulverize, three Pummel, three Sink Below, three Spinal Crush, and three Zealous Belting. At yellow, there's one Remembrance. And at blue, there's three buckling blow, three choke slam, three cranial crush, three debilitate, three disable, three imposing visage, three macho grande, three pummel, three rouse the ancients, three showtime, three staunch response, three terrace under, and three thunderquake. So you already commented on it, but I'm assuming you don't like the remembrance. No, we both think remembrance is basically unplayable. <laughs> yeah, it's first cycle, it's complete garbage. It doesn't do anything and then later in the game you spend a card that you had to pitch the first cycle as a yellow and then you just spend a card to add three cards to your deck and if instead of remembrance it was just a card that did something maybe you'd be in a better spot instead of needing to add three more cards back to your deck 
and you at that point then you're only going back up two cards total in your deck because the remembrance is coming out of the deck and then the three cards that go in only still put you up plus two then at that point is there anything to be said for the fact that you're recurring your three best cards probably cards that you'd play five or six copies if it was legal to no <laughs> <laughs> um and that's just because there's no card in the game that's game winning enough on the spot to warrant putting such a low impact card in your deck for one and two if they were so impactful and game winning then you shouldn't be needing to recycle them back into your deck they should have won you the game or had been impactful enough to put you in a position to win the game the first time then so i know it's not as quite simple as that but in a nutshell i would say that would be my counter argument to that question yeah sure that's a very good point i also don't like remembrance for similar reasons i'm happy that you kind of laid it out pretty well though what's really interesting is that i hadn't noticed that there were buckling blows in this list and given the wide 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 array of blue three block cards that bravo has access to choosing buckling blow has to be there for a reason but i'm struggling to understand why exactly i suppose I think it's just the highest cost blue attack left for Bravo because he's maxed on Macho Grande, Disable, Cranial Crush, and Thunderquake, and I think that's all the blues that cost five or more. And you need to keep your attack as high as possible for Rouse the Ancients, or your cost, which correlates with attack, I guess. I guess Thump kind of stands out as one that does not necessarily correlate with attack, but for the most part, you need these... The four costs turn on the, the four costs have six power, which turns on zealous belting, and it also is a good reveal for Rouse the Ancient. So you are kind of just forced to play, four cost blues attacks, regardless of how useful the on hit trigger is. Okay, that makes yeah. sense then. Oldheim gets access to glacial footsteps and mulch. On top of that, he plays more non guardian attack actions that blue. So that's why you don't see it in Oldheim. But Bravo really doesn't have that luxury. And he's also attacking with Winter's Whale, not Anathos. So. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Sometimes. Most of the time. But overall, I think this deck looks really great into the meta. And I think single-handedly proved that Fi's dominance isn't quite as unchecked as people maybe made it out to be. And I think shows that given time people can iterate and come up to answers to these aggressive decks and kind of like we were saying last week with the attack for 20 podcast if people just calmed down after aggressive decks performed well in the first few weeks and thought about the strong answers to them they do exist and i'm really happy that this deck is shaking up the meta in a very healthy way yeah not to jump too much but we never actually talked about the band of stubby hammers it feels like it happened so long ago but it's only been a week since it was banned and only four or five days at the time we're recording this this tournament was played with stubby hammers legal so this bravo deck was defeating the full powered fidex yeah which speaks to even higher value to its ability to crush the weak decks (laughs) i like your pun but there's zero copies of crush the weak unlucky (laughs) Although I know, Michael, you don't believe in this deck at all. You think it's basically as bad as I think Little Minnowism of Viscerai is. So why do you hate Kale McCreeth and Bravo? <laughs> I don't hate Kale McCreeth. I don't hate Bravo. I just think there is a better Guardian in the format. And if you really want to play Guardian, you should just play the better one. So why didn't Goldheim win the tournament if he's better? So great segue. Let's go to the second place Oldham deck. Yeah, the deck that Kale beat. In the finals. Yeah, yeah, yeah the worst deck. Okay. Winton Bedford took Oldham to second place at the Battle Hard in Auckland. He was playing Arcane Lantern, Crater Fist, Crown of Seeds, Final Spring Tunic, Heart of Ice, Iron Hide Legs, Nolrin Boots, Rampart of the Ram's Head, Sledge of Anvilheim, and Winter's Whale. At red, there's three Biting Gale, two Crush the Weak, three Endless Winter, three Enlightened Strike, three Oak and Old. Three Oasis Respite, three Sink Below, three Spinal Crush, three Staunch Response, and three Zealous Belting. At blue, there's three Autumn's Touch, three Blizzard, three Brothers in Arms, three Channel Lake Frigid, three Cranial Crush, three Disable, one Exposed to the Elements, 
three glacial footsteps, one heart of Feyendahl, three hypothermia, one insidious chill, one pulse of Eisenloft, two Rousey Ancients, two Sotomaro, three Thunderquake, three Winter's Bite, and three Winter's Grass. So this deck took second, and I gotta say, it, it looks pretty good. I think if, if they played that match more times and Winton had a chance to kind of learn from his mistakes, I would actually expect him to be favored in the matchup. If you go back and watch the replay, the VOD was live and act, or the match was recorded and streamed, and there were a couple decisions that didn't really end up working out that well for him, and the game ended up pretty close. I, I'm not, I don't want to come, this to come across wrong, because I think that to get second at a big battle hardened, you have to play well and know your deck pretty well and know your matchups. But it wouldn't surprise me if that was the matchup against Bravo is not a match that Winton had played a lot and had a lot of experience in. Oh, so you're saying Winton's really bad at the game in Flesh and Blood. <laughs> that is not what I'm saying. He got second place at a battle hardened, which is a big accomplishment. And obviously he must have played well to get there. And he brought a nice deck. There's a lot of interesting cards in this deck that like aren't commonly used and he made them work. Let's talk about Bidingale on that note. Yeah. So Bidingale is two cost elemental defense reaction blocks for four and you can ice fuse it and if you do then they discard a card or pay two. So what Bidingale does is I'm assuming it's specifically good against Fi and against Fi if you play it and ice fuse it, it really kind of cuts into their big combo turns, having to give up a card or pay two extra resources. So you play it, ice fuse it, they have to pay the card's cost of paying two or discarding a card. And then when you're fusing it, that means, lo and behold, you have an ice card in your hand, which means you can then follow up playing this defense reaction with activating Old Time's ice ability defense reaction stripping two cards out of your opponent's hand at that point. Yeah, yeah. And Fi really relies on playing longer combat chains, especially on his big combo turns. If you maybe play a Spreading Flames, play an Art of War, crack your stubby hammers, not necessarily in that order. But if you do all that, and then you actually only end up attacking two or three times that turn, that's a lot of your fuel gone for not a lot of reward. And that's what this Biting Gale and Ice React is looking to capitalize against Fi. It's interesting to me that there's no Stalagmite, though, as well, just because that card is pretty strong into Fi as well. Yeah, Stalagmite's really powerful. This Oldheim deck looks like it's trying to go pretty long. And then the other interesting inclusion is a card that we haven't seen a lot of at this point, which is the fabled card Heart of Findall, which... I really like that card, and I think there's a good amount of value to be had in it in the Guardian decks. Yeah, I know Heart of Findall saw some play in the Blitz format when all the Oldheims were really looking to fatigue the other decks with Crown, Rampart, and just playing against decks that didn't have an opportunity to sideboard in a way to really combat fatigue. So Heart was pretty good there, and it was also very good in the mirrors where you were lower than them, but you were getting to basically regain this one life over and over again if you were behind. So then how did he lose in the finals? <laughs> I already kind of talked about why I think that he lost in the finals, and I think I, I would expect him to be favored if they played that matchup 10 more times. I think he would do quite well for himself. Even just the end of the game, the way he blocked, he blocked and... Earth reacted and covered up exactly six damage against an Anathos when he was at four, and the opponent uh, just, uh, Kale just played a red pummel on it, and it was something that he could play around by just blocking with one more card and then holding up the Earth React. So, Bravo's the better deck. Okay. Glad we're all on the <laughs> same page, and Bravo is the best Guardian to be playing in the format. Yep. Whole ah. time's unplayable. You heard it here first. I'm going to keep that sound bite forever. <laughs> moving on let's talk about the five deck so we're going to talk about jared fung's five deck from that same battle harden in auckland it's going to have stubby hammers in it but the missing of stubby hammers probably won't impact the 
deck construction too much. So I think it's still worth talking about the deck as a whole and what it's been doing in the meta in the past few weeks. Okay. So Jared Fung, top forward with five for equipment. He had one flame skill furnace, one final spring tunic, one mask momentum, one mask of the pouncing links, one searing ember blade, one snapdragon scalers, one stubby hammers, and one tiger stripe shuko. So a couple interesting things is I know a lot of the fight decks were going towards a more combo-y version where they played Blossom of Springs. We aren't seeing that in this list. Another thing is there's Snapdragon Scalers instead of Tide Flippers. The main reason to run that, as we'll get into with the red attacks, is uh, probably Snatch because Tide Flippers can only give two power things go again, whereas Snapdragon Scalers can hit Snatch as well. Moving on to... The red cards, there's three Belittle, three Blaze Headlong, three Brand of a Cinderclaw, three Command and Conquer, three Double Strike, three Erase Face, three Flame Call Awakening, two Inflame, three Mounting Anger, three Phoenix Flame, two Red Hot, three Rising Resentment, three Ronin Renegade, three Sink Below, three Snatch, three Spreading Flames, and two Tome of the Firebrand. At yellow, there's three Art of War, three Salt the Wound, and three That All You Got. And at blue, there's three Brand with Cinder Claw, three Cinder Skin Devotion, one Energy Potion, three Lava Vein Loyalty, two Minnowism, and three Rising Resentment. I'm sorry, Michael, how many double strikes was this list playing? Uh, three. Oh, that sounds like this card is going to be the face of the class going forward. Somebody smart probably said that once, but I can't remember who. <laughs> so what are your thoughts on this deck other than there are three double strikes in it? It's... Definitely a little different than some of the five builds we've seen before. I think the inclusion of Snatch single-handedly separates it from the crowd in that category. Yeah, three copies even. I wonder if there's ever been times where he gives his attacks plus one plus one for a turn with Art of War, but then also gives his next attack go again. So you can lead with something like a Rising Resentment or a Ronin Renegade, and then give your attacks plus one plus one, give your next attack go again, and then snatch in that way as well. You aren't getting the extra cards drawing off the Art of War, but then you're threatening the snatch drawing a card there, and he still has Tome of the Firebrand as well in order to draw cards at that point. And really it sounds like then at that point going Brand with Cinderclaw into snatch on that line too to make the snatch a draconic chain link as well seems something that could be pretty strong. Yeah, Brand with Cinderclaw into snatch does seem like pretty good there's no yellow copies of brand but he does have the red and the blue so it's not too low on ways to turn your attacks into draconic playing the art of war for plus one plus one and go again probably i feel like you wouldn't do that very often just because you're losing out on so much value from not taking the banished draw two. basically turning one card into two cards is it's hard for that to be worth less than go again on one attack but I could see it coming up occasionally. At that point, then Snatch would just be used as a pseudo-rupture card, just ending combat chains, with threatening to get an extra card in the hands of Arsenal at that point. Yeah, I think so. We don't see any copies of Lava Burst in this list, so the only actual finisher-finisher is Salt the Wound. That does make Mask of the Pouncing Link a little bit worse then in that regard. Yeah, I agree. But getting Salt the Wound off of Mask is still pretty good. Oh, wait, that's not true. There's also two Red Hots as finishers. Red Hot's a card we haven't seen very much. I actually had to pull this card up real quick to read it. <laughs> I wonder what the reasoning for including Red Hot is versus some of the other more common finishers that are basically just costing less than two because Red Hot costs two. It can be hard to fit on a curve. On Blue Pitch into Belittle turns, as playing as Phi, I noticed a lot of times I would end my turn with unused resources because it's if you pitch a blue for belittle and then you go and get another blue it's it can be pretty hard to spend six resources with the fight deck so having these two cost finishers with red hot and then also command and conquer and a race face depending on the matchup i imagine that's kind of the intention there that would make sense and then you play any six depending on how impactful they are in a given matchup so how do you think the banning of stubby hammers affects phi overall going forward so it definitely does hurt Fi, obviously i guess but i don't think it actually will change that much i think specifically the combo decks will be a little bit toned back and 
you won't see 30 plus damage turns as often. They're going to be losing out on 5 to 7 damage on every on their biggest turns of the game, most games. But in exchange for that, they do get Tiger Stripe Shuko, which is going to be worth 1 damage on a lot of your turns, and then it also blocks for 2, which helps Fi's kind of vulnerability with not being a super good blocker. And it's not inconceivable to con to get a comparable amount of damage out of that between the getting a couple of attack boosts and then blocking for two at the end. So I, I don't think Fi will be much weaker. You just kind of need to probably build your deck a little bit less all-in on a combo since your combo turn is going to be significantly weaker. Do you think that is going to give rise to more of the room blade starting to pop up then or gives room to different aggro decks in general? Yeah, I, I do expect the rune blades to be pretty popular and well represented i think that the i guess even at this tournament there was a briar that slipped into the top eight i, I think both briar and viscera have a lot of game too and their matchups are different than Fi's. so depending on what you expect to play against i would expect the correct aggro deck to be a different choice based on the expected metagame any final thoughts then on five before we move on to that briar list that you brought up one note i did want to mention is this deck is a little bit high on generics and it's still playing two tome of firebrand i would be a little bit worried about that card getting stuck with not having enough draconic attacks to enable it so just something to be aware of when I guess building your deck, if you want to include Tome of Firebrand, you need to make sure you have enough Draconic attacks. But it looks like he probably got, I guess, like, this is, I probably wouldn't trim any Draconic attacks from this point if I'm trying to play Tome of Firebrand in Phoenix going forward. And then one other note is there's six defense reacts in this deck between three that all you got and three sink below. I think this Phoenix is kind of looking to play a slightly longer game than. I guess the more combo-oriented Fidex, and I would expect that Fidex going forward without stubby hammers are probably going to look like this, where they have these defense reacts they break in against the aggro decks where they're good. Not only against the aggro decks, but you gotta block these, yeah, you gotta block Bravo's crush effects somehow. Yeah, moving on to... The definitely not unplayable, very good, super awesome Briar. So Dan Blomfield played briar and made top eight with it the equipment in his list is crown of dichotomy crown of providence Fiendel spring tunic grasp of the arc knight nolrin robe rosetta thorn snapdragon scalers vexing quill hand looks mostly typical the one thing that stands out to me is snapdragon scalers and no spellbound creepers which i've seen briar list kind of both ways on that i wouldn't say that one's much more common than the other just a point of note Four red cards. There's three Bramble Spark, three Channel Mount Heroic, three Coax of Commotion, three Command and Conquer, three Enlightened Strike, three Entwine Lightning, three Evergreen, three Lightning Press, three Lightning Surge, three Nimbleism, three Ravenous Ravel, three Revel and Runeblood, three Scar for a Scar, three Sigil Suffering, three Snatch, three Sonata Arcanics, and three Swarming Gloomvale. At yellow, there's one Pulse of Candlehold, and at blue, there's three Burgeoning. 3 Earth Lore Surge, 3 Force of Nature, 2 Sift, 2 Sotomaro, 3 Tome of Harvest, 3 Weaver, and then there's also 1 Gorganian Tome. Thoughts? This list is actually quite different than some of the bigger Earth builds we've seen in the past. Specifically, I'm looking at the Lightning Presses, and I don't know that that card has been heavily played in a lot of decks up until this point. It's kind of a card that Briar has shied away from, I feel like, recently. Additionally, playing all three copies of Coke's Commotion is a card that I think is very good overall, but it's just not a card that the Briar decks are always playing at all, let alone all three copies. And then going back to the equipment, Snapdragons, my first thought was, why not play Sutcliffe Suede Hides over Snapdragon Scalers? But I guess if you're looking to mitigate the classic Roomblade Potato Hands that are all attack actions and don't have any nanotech actions at all in them, it would make sense that you would just want the piece of equipment that helps you fix those kinds of turns, because Sutcliffe's Suede Hide still requires you to play an attack and nanotech action in a turn to get the go-again effect. 
Yeah, I think Sutcliffe's Suede Hides are just pretty much worse than Spellbound Creepers and Briar because it's still they still cost the one resource and they still require you to have an attack and a non-attack. So at that point, you could just attack and then use your uh, Spellbound Creepers to play a non-attack and then follow it up with another attack. And then Briar is very different from Viscerae where she doesn't necessarily need to play her non-attack before her attack to get value, whereas Viscerae does to get to turn on his hero power. So it's less important in Briar, especially if she's going to follow it up with another attack. The thing that stands out most to me is three red evergreen. And I imagine that's kind of a split between being a popper against Prism and also being an anti-fatigue card against Old Time. It doesn't really seem like it fits with her game plan, though. Yeah, that is interesting. And then also going back to the Lightning Presso as well, it does make the Sonata Arcanics have a little bit higher of a fail rate. And so does Sigil Suffering as well. But I just wonder if it wouldn't be better suited with a different card at this point if we're looking to play more than just attack and non-attack actions in this kind of a deck. Sorry, like you're proposing cutting Sonata to make room for these cards that are not attacks and non-attacks. Yeah, I think... Yeah, that makes sense. Maybe then you could get then to the point of playing cards like even bigger than that could be an interesting addition to the deck or... Maybe even potentially Artivore. There's just different options if you get away from Sonata Arcanics that you still can keep a very high threshold of the non-attack actions to get your Embodiment of Lightning, but for every card that you skew from that exact split ratio of 50-50 of attack, non-attack actions, Sonata gets significantly worse. Yeah, for sure. Some math on Sonata. If you have a 50-50 split, do you, do you know this off the top of your head? It's like a 30% fail rate, right, with 50-50 split? Like that sounds right to me. And then if you throw in, let's say, three sigils and three lightning presses, that's got to significantly reduce your hit rate on it. Yeah, I remember breaking out the hypergeometric calculator in my days of playing Viscerai and doing all the math. I just don't quite remember the exact percentages. I just know that it does get pretty bad when you do start adding instance and defense or attack reactions into your deck. Because that was one of the big things to struggle with in the Sonata, Arcanics, and Skeleta combo, where against Bravo Star of the Show, you were trying to set up this combo, but you needed cards that allowed you to not die and just get beat up all the time. So naturally, you would turn to defense reactions, but when you start putting defense reactions in your deck, you weaken your combo turn, and then what's the point of your deck at that point? So it's definitely something you have to be really, really careful about when you're playing Snodder Arcanics because that card already has an inherent fail rate at the best of times and making it worse than it already can be is definitely not something you want to be looking to do when you're building a deck. Yeah, and there's something to be said for like where you can play higher variance cards when you're losing and just not play them if you're ahead or winning because the fail case of losing like a coin flip or missing on a sonata is pretty bad if you're ahead but if you're behind maybe you just need to get lucky to win but sonata is a red card that blocks for two you aren't really doing much else with it other than playing it when you draw it so compared to something like tome of the arc knight where you it's a blue so you aren't like required to play it basically every time you draw it Sonata doesn't have that flexibility so if you're putting sonata in your deck you really need to be pretty committed to making it work Right, and even thinking about it, just this offhand comment I made about Art of War. Art of War does pair pretty well with Force of Nature, giving all of your attacks plus one. I can see there being certain situations where where you just play a Force of Nature first attack with a spell that's not necessarily bopped, and your opponent might not really recognize what's going on, and you have an ability then to kind of get either the Lightning Press or the, or the Art of War to push it through, maybe even both at that point. It just kind of opens up a little bit more opportunity for the deck to go wide as well. Yeah, making Art of War work in Briar would be a pretty... It might be a little bit challenging on the deck building side of things, but if you're cutting Sonata, then you can also cut down on your non-attacks. Maybe you play like somewhere in the 15 to 25 range of non-attacks, and then you have your 30-some attack actions, and then your Art of Wars look pretty good when you have like 30 or so attacks to vanish off of them. It's just, or upwards of 30. It just looks a little bit 
less reliable when that counts lower. Right, and this deck is already going away from Spellbound Creepers into Snapdragon Scalers, so it even hedges in that regard as well already. But yeah, I definitely agree that there would be maybe more deck building cost to including that card that I'm thinking. Yeah. One other plus for Art of War is when you're playing Briar, a lot of the time your Channel Mount Heroic, the thing that you are stranded on is sources of go again. And Art of War can very easily fulfill that go again by just choosing go the go again mode on it. So it can help your Channel Mount Heroic turns get the f- full potential value that they would otherwise get. And you're still playing some mopey attack actions like banishing uh, blue burgeoning off of your Art of War sounds like exactly what you want to be doing with blue burgeoning other than pitching it. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So what are your final takeaways about Briar in the current meta? Do you think he she's going to start creeping back up now that Phi kind of took a little bit of a hit or do you think that she's still the worst of the two room blades yeah i think between briar and viscerai it's kind of close i think that both will see a fair amount of representation at the pro tour and i think of course i think Vi will still be up there too doing well i think those would be the three main aggro decks unless you consider lexi an aggro deck but i think she's more mid-rangey so those are the the main three aggro decks i expect to see a lot of that makes sense. So I guess that means it's time to talk about Viserai, and we're even changing events now. Yeah, so we're jumping to the calling U- Utrecht. Kevin Larens got top four with Viserai there. For equipment, his deck had one Aether Iron Weave, a Crown of Providence, a Fyandel Spring Tunic, a Grasp of the Arc Knight, a Rosetta Thorn, a Spellbound Creepers, and a Vexing Quill Hand. At red, there's two Amplify the Arc Knight, three Erase Face, two Lead the Charge, three Mavrin Skies, three Meet and Greet, three Mordred Tide, two Rattlebones, three Read the Runes, three Revel and Runeblood, two Rune Flash, three Runeblood Incantation, three Runic Reclamation, three Shrill of Skull Form, three Sonata Arcanics, three Spellblade Assault, one Spellblade Strike, three Swarming Blue Veil. At yellow, there's three Mavrin Skies and three Shrill of Skull Form, and at blue, there's two Amplify the Arc Knight, three Become the Arc Knight, one Drawn to the Dark Dimension, three Lead the Charge, three Mavrin Skies, three Shrill of Skull Form, three Spellblade Assault, one Spellblade Strike, and three Vexing Malice. And then, of course, the one of Garganian Tome also. What are your thoughts on this list? I love that it does not have Belittle Minnowism in it. <laughs> You're just the Belittle Minnowism hater. Clearly, it's the better archetype. Look at it. There is no belittle Vinoism viscerai in the top eight of this. It's clearly proven itself to be the superior version now at this point. Okay. Additionally, though, I guess some small nitpicks about the list that just look a little weird to me. Blue Amplify the Arc Knight is just weird to me that that would make the cut. Viscerai is a pretty actually decent list of blue cards. He's pretty happy to play. And I was never happy with Blue Amplify the Arc Knight. It's sure it's it still attacks for four so that is sort of hitting that block for three break point to try to push through Mavrin sky triggers after that's been played i just don't think that it's impactful enough and it was never a card i was super happy with to the point where i think i was even playing blue rune flash over it just because of the natural go again on it yeah i find it very interesting there's two blue amplify the arc knight and one blue spellblade strike and then also at red there's two amplify the arc knight and one spellblade strike those numbers don't seem like something you just like randomly stumble onto it seems like there's definitely a plan and like oh for sure maybe there's just like an inconsistency with like needing more big things that you can either play your blue lead the charge on or just things that get reduced by rune chance and maybe I, I can see a world where like specifically against prism where you want these extra zero or these extra cards that trigger both lead the charge and are pretty cheap to pop auras with and maybe that's kind of the role that blue amplify is filling i guess rune flash does a similar thing though and it sounds like you were saying it's probably better in other spots as well i was a weirdo playing that card i don't think that card ever became standard by any stretch of the imagination it was just a card i was interested in back in my viscerai days but i'm a washed up room blade player at this point i see there are nine copies of shrill of school form and nine copies of mavrin sky nine mav nine shrill baby nine mav nine shrill this 
Kind of makes a lot of sense. It's just like the curve that Viserai wants to be. Playing a Mob's Guy is pitching a blue, playing Shrill, and swinging Rosetta Thorn. Just they're some of the most efficient turns that any hero can really play on three cards. And just maximizing the consistency on that seems pretty strong, especially in a metagame where you're playing against a lot of Fies that really don't want to be blocking your Shrill of Skull form, even if it's attached with a red Mobrin Skies or a yellow Mobrin Skies. They just really don't want to be blocking for seven. Right. But you know a deck that doesn't mind blocking for seven and can do it pretty happily? Either the Guardians, Runeblade, or Bravo, or Old Time. And I think a list like this could struggle pretty heavily into the more controlling Guardian decks. Yeah, I agree. It's even going so far as to play like Meet and Greets, which I think is another card that is specifically like positioned well against Fi and decks that don't want to block and doesn't look so great into decks that do want to block. It's not particularly efficient if they're blocking it and stopping the on hit make a rune chant. And it's also really bad when they prevent all the arcane damage and now your meet and greet doesn't have go again. Right. That, that was going to be the other point where the decks that are actively looking to try to block as many rune chants as they can in a turn usually. Mm. Overall though, this list is really clean. There's no defense reactions in it. So it's clearly looking to just always be enacting a very proactive game plan and i think there needs to be some adjustments to this deck going forward given that the guardians are probably going to see a major uptick now but i still think viscerai is a very strong contender just because of the raw efficiency of most of its turns and the potential upside on some of his turns are still pushing that 30 damage plus benchmark at times yeah i agree that this list looks very clean and into the at least into like the slower guardians like old time it does have the three read the runes three rune blood incantation <laughs> so it is able to play like pretty decent setup turns with those two cards but yeah it's definitely it definitely looks tech to beat up the aggro decks like Phi and potentially even rune blade mirrors as well yeah the problem with going to that slow setup turn thing against the guardians though at the same time though at the same time, the awkward part about playing these setup cards like Read the Runes and Rune Blood Incantation is that before when you were setting up and building up your 10, 15, 20 rune chants, you were setting up for this combo kill with Skeletta, and that was pushing 40 plus damage in a turn at that point, and your goal was to just overwhelm all of the defensive capabilities of a deck like Oldheim all in one go. When you're just getting in these build up a rune chance of like six to ten maybe if you're really building up and you have a mortar type going it's a lot of damage in that one instance but it's still not an amount of damage that feels like is a major issue for the guardians given how efficiently they're able to mitigate your damage on every other turn of the game so you might get in this source of 10 damage in rune chance as your payoff for these setup turns but you really can only have maybe two of those turns in a game and that's only 20 damage and you need to deal way more damage than that across the game in order to actually close it out so it's still something that viscerai is going to have to figure out and really iterate on if he's trying to hedge for guardians going forward as well yeah lo losing skeleta definitely hurt viscerai into guardians i guess it hurt him into basically every matchup but <laughs> especially like just losing this whole go big otk plan where he can turtle up and set up this huge turn it it hurts yeah so we'll we'll see if i expect that uh viscerai will be able to at least kind of adapt and have a reasonable plan even if it's not ever like a matchup that's super favored for him yeah and then speaking of innovations i guess let's talk about this sick dromai list from utrecht as well Alright, so Jamie Faulkner made top 8 at the Calling Utrecht with Dromai. For equipment, there's one Crown of Providence, one Flamescale Furnace, one Ghostly Touch, one Nolren Gloves, one Phantasmal Footsteps, one Silken Form, and one Storm of Sandakai. At red, there's two Billowing Mirage, three Burn Them All, three Command and Conquer, three Fate Foreseen, three Invoke Asvali, three Invoke Chromai, one Invoke Dominia, one Invoke Dracona Optimi, Three invoke Kyloria, three invoke Miragi, three invoke Necria, one invoke Uvia, one invoke Tumultai, three invoke Vince Vincerakai. Yeah. 
three Invoke Ender Eye, three Oasis Respite, three Rake the Embers, two Sand Cover, three Sigil of Solace, three Sink Below, and three Sweeping Blow. At yellow, there's three That All You Got, and at blue, there's three Billowing Mirage, three Ember Moss Senapai, three Passing Mirage, three Rake the Embers, three Semblance, and three Sweeping Blow. So, what are your thoughts on this list? Rar dragons go rar, but not actually. Dragons go sleepy in a cave until third cycle and set up to play the <laughs> longest game of flesh and blood in recorded history. Yeah, this deck's really looking to slow the game down. Three sync, three fate for scene, three sigil of solace, two sand cover, and three oasis respite is a lot of defensive options. And then, oh, also at yellow, there's three that all you got. So it's looking to block. Yeah. Importantly, though, how many copies of Burn Them All is it playing? Three. Wow, that seems like a really good card that should be highly rated out of the Uprising set, so very <laughs> strong. Yeah, and uh, how many Chrome Eyes? Zero. Oh, wait, three. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, I mean, cards, there, there's a lot, of, a lot of good cards. I don't know. I feel like it's reasonable to uh, play them, I guess. Good cards are good. Agreed. For the three copies of Burn Them All, this deck's really looking to drag out the game by blocking a lot. It makes sense that Burn Them All is able to get much more value if you're in the mid-game for a longer period of time because you're blocking so heavily. And when you're playing these longer games, these Burn Them Alls are going to look quite good. Right. And then what I'm struggling a little bit to envision is how this deck's generating Ash consistently. So there are the three sweeping blows and the copies of Break the Embers, but those usually are also using Ash as well. So I imagine you're just trying to generate Ash through playing other cards in the deck, but I'm kind of struggling to understand what those might be most of the time. Yeah, so the one-cost dragons can usually break even on Ash because you can pitch a red for them. If you're desperate for Ash, you could pitch a red to block with Phantasmal Footsteps. They're... Oasis Respite, you can pitch a red for, but there really aren't a ton of ways to generate Ash in this deck. So I, I think that's a very valid concern. I guess the other big one is three copies of Invoke Necria. You could lean on that a little bit to kind of generate some Ash for you. Yeah, as long as it's not getting popped, it is generating a lot of Ash. I wonder when and how this deck plays Semblance, though. That card is interesting that it's a three of it, no less. So what I've heard for the Semblance is... In general, you just board in against decks that play a ton of poppers. We're talking like 20 to 40. So the Guardians got it. Okay, it's a Guardian cyborg card. Guardians and Brutes. Brutes play a lot of poppers too. Oh, I forgot they were a class. Sorry. <laughs> so I think it's specifically for Guardians and Brutes where you can't really expect your attacks to get through without being popped very often. And those are also the matchups where you board into the Ghostly Touch and then... And third cycle, like we were, or you were alluding to, that the games frequently go, it, you can um, activate your ghostly touch that has, say, 15 counters on it, attack with it, and when they pop it, you can semblance, or when they try to pop it, you can semblance it, and they take 12 or 13 damage, and your gloves stay around to do the same thing when you draw back into another semblance. Even then, that doesn't even sound super impressive. That's just like a three card 15. Yeah. <laughs> If that's, if that's your big setup after jamming attacks into poppers all game, that doesn't sound super promising. There are a few other ways to keep your stuff from getting popped, like Miragi and Passing Mirage are both pretty nice at avoiding getting popped, and you can even potentially play multiple in the same turn since the dragons have go again. So if you set up like Kyloria, not Kyloria, sorry, if you set up Miragi and Passing Mirage in the same turn, your opponent can only kill one, and then you know you're first dragon attack won't have phantasm so that could be a nice plan against these bigger decks i guess that doesn't really make sense for or that doesn't really fit with semblance but semblance is probably just part of the package of avoiding these poppers yeah i don't know it's, like i said it's just a really interesting deck it clearly being a new hero isn't a deck that we've seen a lot of so far and i'm interested to see how it continues to innovate going forward i will say i think in earlier podcasts, I said Prism just kind of dunks on Dromai, but lately in testing, I don't think that it's 100% the case. It's very skill-intensive and actually very board-centric, where Chromai is usually pretty well able to generate the extra action points needed to sometimes clear two or three ores in a turn, depending on the circumstance, and 
then conversely, Prism's heralds are obviously all all-stars all at killing dragons that Dromai can't do a lot about. So if you're able to usually pop a dragon with a herald effectively, but then also then follow it up with your aura attacks, that's usually how you win the game from there. So once again, you need to be maintaining your board state and they need to be mitigating your board state and vice versa. So there's just a lot of play and timing interactions that are important to manage in the matchup. And I think it actually is really interesting in the long run. Yeah, I would expect a deck like this to still be kind of behind against Prism. It only has three poppers itself, and all these defense reactions look pretty bad in a Prism. I'm not sure if there's space to sideboard them all out because there's just so many of these defensive cards that it, it does seem like it would be still kind of tough at least. Though Chromai is an all-star against Prism. Those extra action points are great. Yeah, and burn them all is really annoying at destroying your spectral shields. <laughs> Makes sense. <laughs> okay, any final thoughts on Dromai before we talk about our last amazing hero? I'm really happy that people are figuring out how to build these Dromai decks. I think Dromai is a really cool hero, and I think that we've kind of talked about this before, but I really like how they address some of the issues that we had with Prism and Spectra and stuff, and these dragons feel much both cooler and more intuitive than Aura's. I'm going to miss Spectra when it's gone, man. What else am I going to call judges about in tournaments anymore? <laughs> I'm sure you'll find something. <laughs> All right. Moving on to our last deck. This is a hero that I don't think either of us gave a ton of respect to, but there's been a lot of talk going on, and she did pretty well in the Road to National season. So we pulled up a dash deck that won a Road to Nationals in the hands of Jameson Hughes. This list had... One Achilles Accelerator, one Crown of Providence, one Goliath Gauntlet, one Teclo Foundry Heart, one Teclo Plasma Pistol, and one Xeotronic Model I, Model 1. Gotta love to see the Goliath Gauntlet. It's classic. <laughs> poor, poor generic arms. Don't have any good options. So at red, there's three Combustible Courier, two Erase Face, two Fate Foreseen, three High Octane, three High Speed Impact, two Induction Chamber, two Maximum Velocity, two payload, three plasma purifier, three sink below, two T-bone, three zero to 60, three zipper hit. At yellow, there's three spark of genius, three throttle, three zero to 60, three zipper hit. And at blue, there's three combustible courier, three high speed impact, one signal jammer, three T-bone, three teclo core, three teclo pounder, three throttle, three zero to 60, and three zipper hit. What are your thoughts on dash? I for one welcome our new mechanologist overlords because on paper this deck seems to have a reasonable matchup in everything the more i think about it yeah so the the game plan against aggro decks of just racing them with starting with a teclo pounder in play and dealing a ton of damage with your huge attacks that all go again because of boost and then that's basically it i guess just racing them with boost attacks and I guess your deck is also very full of block threes, so when you need to block, you're quite good at it. On top of your equipment being good at blocking, thanks to Teclo Foundry Heart. Yeah, Teclo Foundry Heart is a pretty crazy piece of equipment. It's just a two-block battle worn that can net you a resource every turn, basically. Yeah. The, the cost of banishing the top two cards of your deck is not super relevant in aggro mirrors where you're just trying to race each other. Yeah, second cycle doesn't even matter anyways. Against the more controlling and slower decks, then you kind of shift plans since you'll probably just run out of cards in deck if you're on this boost aggro deck that's activating Teclo Foundry Heart a bunch and you have the three plasma purifiers and the two induction chambers to set up the killer pistol combo where you pump your pistol a bunch and you attack with it for a ton of damage multiple times. Yeah, on top of having just a bunch of natural poppers, on top of having a bunch of natural poppers for the Dromai and Prism matchups, this deck, like I said, really feels like it just has game into everything. So why is nobody respecting Dash at the moment? I think that in the last format, Dash really got beat up by both Chain and Starvo. She couldn't really race Chain because of Husk and just his higher damage output, and Starvo just had so much disruptive, unblockable damage that... She really struggled into him as well. I'm not sure if on power level she is at par 
with the other aggro decks because in theory if she can beat them in races then dash is great but that's not necessarily a given she has a really strong chest piece and she has some pretty good attacks that are above rate or at rate like zero to 60 is just a zero for four with boost so essentially go again and then that turning on your chest piece is great and then you have these cards that pay you off for boosting multiple times that are just really strong i'm not sure if she has quite enough cards at that power level and her lack of strong equipment kind of potentially means she doesn't even beat the aggro decks that makes sense i guess we'll have to see in singapore's next calling right if dash can maybe put up some results there or maybe we just need to sleep up a dash deck and just start jamming dash for the pro tour yeah i i think dash won't be completely unrepresented i don't expect her to be as popular as any of the three the I guess the big three aggro decks, the five, Israe, and Briar. But I think that she is a reasonable choice that also has a very good plan into the slower controlling decks. And even, I guess, like, if you lump Dromai into the slower controller decks, that kind of is the field, is the aggro decks and the control decks. So she has two solid plans. And if you can line them up well against people, then, yeah, she seems fine. Okay, well, those are all the deck lists we're going to talk about today. Any closing thoughts on the meta as a whole, now that we've kind of gotten a broader idea of what deck lists are shaping up as? Yeah, I'm really excited about this format. It's really open. A lot of heroes seem viable, especially after the Stubby Hammers ban. I think the format was still going to be okay before, even if Stubby's Hammers was legal, but banning it really opened it up even more, so more things can kind of show up, I guess. And... I'm really looking forward to this Pro Tour. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that classic constructed portion of the Pro Tour as well. <laughs> oh no. There are also heroes that I think are solid that we didn't even talk about. So yeah, I'm just really happy about this format. It seems really good so far. I would agree. Anything you want to add before we sign off? It's a real shame that Prism didn't get her two more Living Legend points though, because that would have made the format real interesting again. So <laughs> yeah, I'm very ready to see prism leave i love my guardians and prism's the boogeyman get her out of here and i don't like spectra (laughs) yeah i don't think that she wound up being the boogeyman that she thought we thought she would wind up being in this format but maybe if all the guardians become popular again it's prism's time to shine Mm -hmm. and she's always the boogeyman in my heart (laughs) (laughs) that's fair she would be (laughs) okay well thanks for listening everybody we really appreciate it Remember to like, comment, and subscribe on whatever platform you're listening this to. And next time you're playing Fleshblood, remember, mind your manners. We'll see you next time.